0: Let us pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit among us to lead us, to form us, to shape us, to guide us into all truth. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. Sorry, I forgot to greet you when we started the service this morning, but so glad you all have joined us as well. The next two Sundays, next week and the following Sunday, we have a special privilege in that we're going to have missionary speakers. So next Sunday, our own Reverend Jessica Hughes, who's home from Uganda, will be preaching and sharing about her ministry in Uganda. And we are very much looking forward to that. And as we continue to partner with Jessica, and then this weekend of um, Thanksgiving, which we have one service that day. So Thanksgiving weekend, how many services? What time? 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock yes. Um, we will have the Reverend Dana Kraft with us, who is new to All Saints, but someone who I know, who he and his wife, Damaris, are, he's an Anglican priest, and they have planted a church in Guatemala City, Guatemala, um, in the... Squatter's Village that is adjacent to the city landfill, which is a huge landfill, and the people that live there survive by walking behind the trash truck and going through the piles of trash to gather food and together things that they can sell. And Dana has planted a church um, for those people there in Guatemala City. So he'll be with us for our one service on Thanksgiving weekend as well. So if you're in town, please try to be here for that service as well as next Sunday as we hear from our own Jessica Hughes. So I'm starting into a sermon today that even though it's part of the Ephesians series will really be in two parts. And so part two won't be for three Sundays until we finish with our our privilege of having the missionary speaker. So if you forget what I say today, you need to connect it all together before that day. Go back and watch the video on our church website or listen to the recording, okay? Um, Really focusing today on Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 both today and a few weeks from now on that one verse and hang with me in this sermon. I don't have a lot of illustrations or stories. It's a little heady, but this is really important stuff and we need to lay hold of it and lay hold of what God's word says about this text or what we can learn from this text regarding God's word and I will make some application, but most of the application will come when I wrap this sermon up in a few weeks. So again, focusing on verse 11 of chapter 4 today, where we read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We'll spend time both today and primarily Next time, looking at each of the specific gifts mentioned here in some detail. I'll look at Apostle today and we'll look at the others our next time together. But before we start diving into the specific list, there are some overarching principles I think that it's important for us to be reminded of and to establish as we look at this verse. First, while we are focusing on a single verse today, it's essential that we understand the context of verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, that one of the overarching themes we've seen in Ephesians is God's grace. In Ephesians, we read of the power of God's grace to set people free and to bring them into a living relationship with him. We read of the power of God's grace to bring deep, God-breathed unity among believers that was impossible and is impossible in the natural. Remember our context, Jews and Gentiles, rich, poor, people from all different types of economic backgrounds. And to bring those people together, particularly in the New Testament era, in the natural was an impossibility. But Christ accomplished this through his cross. And then grace also given among the diversity within Christ's body, to build up and strengthen the church where each person brings their giftings, each person brings who God has made them to be and together they make a perfect unified whole. In everything that we talk about in this verse, we must not lose sight of the fact that this is all by God's grace. The gifts mentioned here in Ephesians 4.11 are among the gifts God has placed in his church. And there are a couple of things we need to consider and the first thing is this, the question is, Does Ephesians 4.11 name five gifts or four gifts? A superficial reading, you would say, oh yeah, it's five, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. However, if we look closely at the grammatical structure of this verse, there seems to be a clear indication grammatically, both in the original languages, and the ESV actually does a much better job than some other English translations of, of conveying that it's actually Four gifts because pastor and teacher are one unified gift. Now, this view is not unique to me. It's a view held by many, I think probably a majority of of Bible scholars. And there are a couple of things that we can look at. And I'm actually going to use a laser pointer in my sermon today and not blind myself or anybody else. So that's working. But if you look at the grammatical structure in English, which in the ESV especially reflects the Greek. And he gave the apostles, you've got a definite article there, if you go back to high school English, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. And if you notice, there is no definite article in front of teachers. And that is true in the Greek as well. The word chi, which is a definite article. No, not chi, tus. In Greek, the definite article is not there, which indicates the shepherds and teachers is one unit. also, chi, which is the word for and, is a conjunction. In the Greek, it's he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the chi would be right there, the shepherds and teachers. Again, really indicating the shepherds and teachers are one unit in this context, where St. Paul writes here. So I would assert to you that speaking here, that there are four gifts, not five second, what Paul describes here, we need to understand is not a hierarchy or a model for church government. There are some folks that want to take this one verse out of context and create a whole model of church government around it. And we'll talk about this a little more as we get into the gift of apostle. But when we look at the New Testament, when we look at the governing structure that is established in the New Testament, what we see is that there are bishops or overseers. Both words are used interchangeably. The Greek word is episcopus. There are presbyters, which are elders or presbyters, pres- presbyteros, so presbyters are elders. We also refer to them in the Anglican world as priests. I am a priest, am ordained to the presbyterate. I am ordained as, by the bishop as a presbyter. And then we have deacons, diaconos. And this is the understanding in scripture and of the early church, In Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders or presbyters in each church. The leadership of the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 is comprised of the apostles, meaning the twelve, and the elders, the presbyteros. In 1 Timothy 3.2 and 5.17 and Titus 1.5, it is the elders, the presbyters, who direct the affairs of the church. In 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, the elders are described, again, the presbyteros, as being responsible for shepherding God's flock under their care. So we have that in scripture. I also want to quote from Ignatius of Antioch, who was a bishop in the early church. A little bit about Ignatius. Um, His writings carry a lot of weight because he wrote around 110 A.D., And he was actually a disciple we know of the Apostle John. He was directly discipled by John, both he and Bishop Polycarp, both. Um, were discipled by John and Ignatius was Bishop of Antioch in Syria. He was arrested by the Romans and taken to Rome in chains. And on the way to Rome while in chains, he wrote letters to many of the churches in the the cities where he passed through on that journey as he was a prisoner. And then upon arriving in Jerusalem, he was tried and found guilty and fed to animals in the, in the um, Colosseum for sport. And he relished, if you read his writings, he relished the prospect of dying as a martyr. But we have to remember when these folks like Ignatius and Polycarp and these early church fathers wrote, they were writing on behalf and to a church that was fighting for its very existence amidst fierce, fierce persecution. And their intent was not to write anything new or novel, but to preserve and to convey the truth of God, which had been received. But Ignatius wrote this, whoever does anything without bishop and presbyterian deacons does not have a clear conscience. In accordance with scripture, Anglicans have always held that the offices and ministries of bishop, presbyter, and deacon are essential for proper church order. So in Ephesians 4.11 that we're looking at today, St. Paul is not speaking of church government structures or offices. Rather, he is speaking about specific functions. Hear that? Functions within the body. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar who is very elderly at this point and has dementia, um, who is a charismatic, wrote this. We note that Paul lists people who function in certain ways, not gifts or ministries per se, especially in light of verse 7 and of the function of ministries in verse 12 to equip the saints. The enumeration almost certainly has to do with function, not with office. So people are recognized in these roles that we read of in Ephesians 411 through the ways that they function in the body, not because someone has bestowed a title on them or because somehow they've chosen to bestow a title on themselves. For example, I have a friend who's very gifted In evangelism, and we are all called to be evangelists. We are all called to share the gospel. But there are some people that God uses very specifically in wonderful ways with that in the sense that they're very comfortable doing that. They're very gifted at folding the truth of the gospel into their conversations. And because it's the spirit of God working in them, people respond to the gospel when these folks share it far more than perhaps they do when I share the gospel, but it's because it's a gifting. And that is recognized that this person is an evangelist because we see them functioning in that way. We see them, it's affirmed by the body, by how we see them functioning. So let's take a little bit of time now to begin looking at these four terms in some detail. And again, we'll finish and make application in a few weeks. But we'll talk about apostle today. In Greek, the word apostles, plural because that's what's here, literally means ones sent as messengers. Apostolos, ones sent as messengers, ones sent out. And it probably involved this function in the church of being sent out in, in the early church. As we think of apostles here, this is not in the text, but I think in for For our thinking, it helps to think in terms of apostles with a capital A. And this is not original to me. A number of writers have said this. And apostles with a lowercase a. When you think of capital A apostles, we're talking about the specific apostles, the 12. Because there are several different descriptions of apostles or types of apostles that we read of in scripture. So the 12 and St. Paul, the apostle abnormally born, as he says, the characteristics of these 12 and St. Paul are this. They, had, they fall into a unique category because they had been witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Or in Paul's case, he was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ in a unique way and received his commission for this ministry directly from the resurrected Jesus. We read this in Acts chapter nine. Again, think in terms of apostles with a capital A for these unique individuals. Since its inception, the church has understood that the continuation of this ministry is through the ministry of bishops in historic apostolic succession. If you remember in second service last week, as Bishop John was talking about the biblical basis for confirmation, he mentioned that confirmation pointing to the example of Timothy in the New Testament, started with the apostles and has been passed on as a rite in the church down through the history of church through bishops all the way from the New Testament period to the present. Bishop John specifically spoke of that. Another writing from the early church, First Clement, written about AD 95 or 96, so we're talking right at the close of the writing of the New Testament, says this, Our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife over the bishop's office. For this reason, therefore, having received complete foreknowledge, they appointed the officials mentioned earlier and afterwards. They gave the offices a permanent character. That is, if they should die, meaning when the apostles die, other approved men might succeed to their ministry. So, note here the link between the ministry of apostle and bishop. And then going back to Ignatius again, he wrote, It is essential, therefore, that you do nothing without the bishop, but be subject to the presbytery as to the apostles of Jesus Christ. One of our doctrinal, foundational doctrinal documents in the Anglican Church of North America is the Jerusalem Declaration, which says this, We recognize that God has called bishops, priests, and deacons in historic succession, to equip all the people of God for their ministry in the world. So why am I spending so much time on this this morning? It's critical brothers and sisters that we understand biblical church order and governance as it was established in the new Testament and understood by the early church and has continued through the centuries. This ministry of bishops is so significant because bishops serve not only their local diocese, but they are bishops for the whole church That any time a bishop is consecrated for it to be valid, there have to be three bishops acting as consecrators at a minimum. Now, sometimes there are 15 or 20, but there are always three. And that's to emphasize, one, that this is a bishop serves as a minister or a bishop to the whole church, not just his diocese, and two that this was not done by the act or the whim of an individual, but that this is being done by the church of Christ and that all the bishops recognize that this has happened. And then thirdly, just in case there's something irregular about one of the bishops consecration, you never have one bishop consecrate that way. You always know that the consecration is valid because you have three bishops. So there's no room for mistake or error. Again, why am I spending so much time? It's important that we understand this, that we understand the biblical picture of church government. In looking at Ephesians 4.11 and talking about apostle here, and remember the the capital A, lowercase a concept, Ephesians 4.11 here is not talking about the capital A apostle. Apostles, meaning the 12 and St. Paul and bishops. It's speaking more of how people function Within the body, lowercase a, those sent out. It describes how people within the body, within the church are called, gifted, and equipped to function as ones sent out. Specifically, the idea here with apostolos is a missionary function. People who are sent out to do missionary work. People that are sent out like like Reverend Jessica and function in missionary callings. And especially missionary callings in unevangelized regions. They are called to, to proclaim the gospel and to establish churches. When we look at apostles that fit this category in the New Testament, it, there's a long list, including Barnabas, James the Lord's brother, Timothy, Silas, Andronicus, Junius or Junia, and Titus. And even when we see examples of, let's say, Barnabas accompanying St. Paul on some occasions, Barnabas is specifically and consistently depicted in apostolic function of planting churches, of doing missionary work. So the ministry of apostle, lowercase a, does indeed continue by how people function in the body. The ministry of apostle, uppercase a, continues through the work and ministry of bishops those who succeed the 12. When I think of lowercase a, another organization that we have ties with that comes to mind is Anglican Frontier Missions. Our friend Chris Rohrer was here some months ago sharing about the work of AFM on a Sunday morning. AFM very much is an apostolic ministry in that they are focused on planting churches and taking the gospel to unreached people groups. That is how lowercase a apostles function in the church today. So God does indeed call, continue to call, and the church commissions men and women to this type of ministry, to missionary work, to church planting. And I pray to God that he will raise up some of the young people in this church for that type of a ministry, that they will be recognized as functioning in this way, that this is the call of God on their lives, to plant churches, to take the gospel to foreign lands, even as Jessica has. Don't write yourself off young folks, if God may call you to that sort of thing, and if he does, he will equip you, and it will be recognized by the body because of the way that you function in your calling. I think of the example of Presbyterian ministry, minister David Brainerd, who was a missionary in the colonial era to the Native Americans, and he was often referred to in writings of that era when you see them as the Apostle Brainerd, but he's referred to as the Apostle Brainerd because he was a missionary to people who had never heard the gospel before. So what's the bottom line in this as we look at Ephesians 4.11, not just apostles, but also prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that we'll look at in a few weeks. Function leads to recognition. It's not because someone bestows a title on someone or someone decides, again, that they have this title for themselves. People are recognized as functioning in these roles and ministries because they're already doing it. And people in the body recognize their gifting and recognize that this is how God uses this particular individual in special ways. And God does indeed continue to use and to raise up people so that we all can be unified, that we all can be strengthened, that we can be about the business of our Lord and his kingdom, both now and in the days to come until Christ returns, even as we read about and heard about in our gospel reading this morning. So that's what I have to share today. Just put everything on hold and we'll pick up in a couple of weeks and we'll finish this sermon. But let's close with a word of prayer. So Father, we give you thanks that you give us a clear directive regarding order in your body, in your word. You give us the example of the early church and father, we thank you that you do equip and empower people to function in various ministries within the body. So Lord stir up your giftings within the body that we would be the people you're calling us to be. Lord, may we be, those missionaries, those ones that go forth with the gospel. May we be those who share words from you. May we be faithful shepherds and teachers. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us into all truth. We thank you for your grace, for your goodness, and that you, Lord Jesus, are the foundation of your church. We ask these things with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen.